we, we started a, a series a couple weeks ago and, and very important conversation. And, uh, and so we're calling it Gospel Fueled. It's, it's just, it's really a consideration of what's the motivation behind what it is that we're supposed to, to do as believers. It's an important conversation. And, uh, and, and of course, the, the answer to that question is the gospel. The gospel is meant to be the fuel that we put in our tank and, and uh, that drives us, fuels us. Um, the good news of what Christ has done in our place for us. And, um, and really what, what the gospel is, is uh, God's answer to the law. So the, the law was given through Moses. Uh, it's the perfect standard of a perfect God. It is uh, impossible uh, life by law, life under law, life by works, uh, trying to earn our way and please our way into heaven is impossible. And so the gospel is God's answer to the law. Uh, under the law, what we do determines our right standing with God. But under the gospel, uh, the, the truth is God has, through Christ, has uh, taken care of that, secured our right standing and our righteousness once and for all. And now, uh, our right standing with God determines what we do. So under the law, what we do determines our right standing with God. Under the gospel, our right standing with God determines what we do. And, uh, and, and so you can look through the old covenant, new covenant, sta- same conversation, same topics, completely different perspective. For example, under the old covenant, the, the, the scripture says, give, and it will be given to you. That's uh, the precursor to gaining is giving. So you initiate the launch sequence. But under the gospel, freely I've given you all things. Now you're free to give. Uh, under the old covenant, if you want forgiveness, if you want to be forgiven, you have to initiate that by forgiving others. The Bible says, forgive others or you can't be forgiven. But under the gospel, the Bible says you are forgiven. Now that you're forgiven, you're free to forgive. It enables us. It empowers us. Uh, Even our love is caused by the gospel. He creates uh, our love. Our love is created by God. We love because we're first love. And and the Apostle Paul, if if you go through, of course, the Apostle Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament... And if you, if you read through his letters and really take time to consider what he's saying and how he's saying it, uh, there's a trend. There's, a, there's something that he does frequently. And, and first of all, he starts every letter the same way, grace and peace to everybody. So that, that it's always, uh, it's always the, 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 the opening is always grace and peace. So it's the root of the gospel. It's the fruit of the gospel right at the onset of every letter. And in every letter, he always brings up imperatives. He always brings up what it is that we're supposed to be doing. And these are the things that we highlight in our Bibles that we really get serious about. When, whenever you know, we see a list of things that we're supposed to do or champion or become, we get really interested. Our ears perk up and we're like, yeah, okay, now we're talking. Uh, uh, give me the to-do list. Give me, the, give me the, the, all the things, the list of things that I'm supposed to be prioritizing. And, but if you back up, if you, any time that you see the Apostle Paul giving a list of imperatives, if you back up, you will always see that, that conversation rooted in the reality of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Uh, in other words, he always roots the imperatives in the indicative. 
The indicative is the reality of what Christ has done for us and who we are because of what Christ has done for us. That determines and causes and fuels what we do. So it, 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 it may seem subtle. It may seem like just sort of semantics, but there is nothing more important than this consideration. I work from righteousness. I work from right standing. I work from being fully known and fully loved and not for those things. I'm not working for righteousness. I'm not working for salvation. I'm not working for love from heaven. I I am working from that place. And so the the common assumption that I've experienced just growing up in church and, and being around Christians my whole life is that the gospel is introductory. And the, 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 we're, an introduced, we're introduced to Jesus through the gospel, uh, and that's where it all begins. And then we've moved quickly into a lifetime of a focus on ourselves and becoming more like Jesus through our own strength and efforts. That is typically the way that uh, human beings approach Christianity, a life of faith, pursuit of Christ is that the, the gospel is how we're introduced to Jesus. We hear about the good news. Easter's coming up in a couple weeks. We're certainly going to hear the gospel. And I knew growing up in church, you'd hear about Jesus at least once a year, maybe twice Christmas time. So you hear about, you know, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. You, you hear about the birth of Jesus in the manger. And then the rest of the year, the other 50 weeks are spent on Chris Stapleton and what I need to do to get my act together and to become more like Jesus. It's a focus on Chris and not Christ. And that doesn't lead me anywhere. Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to give you tons of verses today. Uh, If you want to jot these down, go back and and look at them. I'll kind of fly through a lot of them. But Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. I love this. Uh, Again, the the Apostle Paul. As you have received Christ, Jesus the Lord. How do we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Well, we, we, faith comes through hearing. We heard about him. You, you hear and you believe. Faith comes by hearing. And so we heard the gospel and we trusted Jesus. And so that's, this is the conversation. As you, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, in the same manner, walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude, this is a statement to say you never move past the gospel. Uh, as you receive Christ, walk in Him. And in walking with Him, you're going to be built up in Him. You're going to be rooted in Him. You're going to be strengthened in Him. This is not, this is not something you move past. The gospel is, is it's not just what ignites our faith, it's what fuels it from here until we go home to be with Jesus. And so in the same way that you receive Christ, walk in Him, be rooted in Him, you're being built up in Him, you're being established in your faith. The gospel is forever the fuel of our lives. And so I want to spend some time on this idea today. Walk in Him. So walk in Him. Um, I want to talk about that. That is effort. That is movement. That is motion. We like that. Uh, do you like sitting in traffic? Is that your favorite thing? Anyone? Favorite thing? No one. Uh, I love movement. I will go uh, an hour out of my way just to keep moving. As to not sit still. I will drive around the whole city just so that I still have forward motion. Uh, I don't like to stop. And so uh, to walk in Him, to keep moving is interesting to us. We like that idea. 
2 Corinthians 5 describes the manner by which we walk like this. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. And uh, which means we don't walk according to the flesh. We don't walk according to our own perspective and our own uh, understanding. We walk trusting Jesus to lead us. And so Romans chapter 1 says that the righteous live by faith. It's the manner by which we live. These two things are kind of the same idea. We walk by faith. We live by faith. It's the same idea. It's life by faith in the finished work of Jesus. And, and what fuels our faith? Faith comes by hearing. We read this last week. Faith comes by hearing. What fuels our faith is the gospel. And, and so I, I just want to make this statement. And I know faith is a nebulous Christian word that it's hard to define and, and really truly understand. But it, faith is so much more than simply accepting the gospel as the truth. Uh, faith is more than hitting the like button on the gospel. It's actually an active operating system that works in our life. Faith is the way by which we live. It is the way by which we walk. It is a method. It is an operating system. It is something that is deeper than just an intellectual uh, destination. It is something that moves and, and guides and informs our everyday life. We walk by faith. We live by faith. It is the manner by which we allow Jesus to lead and guide us every step of the way. So faith is an operating system. Galatians 2.20 Uh, We all know this one. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Um, There seems to be a contradiction here. The Apostle Paul uh, glaringly um, makes a contradiction. He says, hey guys, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So in that conversation, I don't live anymore. I'm crucified with Christ. Chris is out of the picture. Then, he, then next sentence, in the life I now live. You just said you don't live anymore. No, 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 the life I now, I now live. And uh, he makes this distinction. I live uh, in the flesh, but not by the flesh. This life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. So then he is, he is putting front and center two very separate operating systems. And this is a massive theme of the New Testament. Is these two operating systems set before you. Choose this day who you will serve, which tree, which path. Which, which direction, which methodology of life do we choose? And he, and he highlights both of them in this very short, brief couple sentences. He says, you can live life by the flesh or life by, the, by faith or by the Spirit. Is, and a lot of scriptures put it that way. But he's presenting two very distinct operating systems. I live in the flesh, but I don't live by the flesh. 
My flesh is not the thing that's determining where I go and what I do. Faith in Christ, faith in His Spirit, is what moves me, guides me, controls me. Um, These are the two operating systems that you see throughout the New Testament. Uh, There are lots of different operating systems that we choose in life, that we experience in life. Uh, I, when I grew up as a kid in the 80s, my family had an Atari 2600 video game system. Anybody familiar with this? I got a picture. Ba-ba. That's it. Look how cool that is. It has wood paneling. It's like a station wagon. Um, one joystick, one button. There's no, uh, how, which, which button does the thing? There's one button. There's no confusion. Uh, and you put the cartridge right there. You know where it goes. It's four little switches. Bing, bang, boom. You're playing Frogger. It's awesome. You're playing Joust, which is ostriches jousting each other. It's awesome. And so the Atari 2600, my, my family loved it. Pac-Man. We had Donkey Kong. So cool. The graphics were awful. Awful graphics. But it didn't matter because I'm in my living room, on my TV. I'm not even putting quarters in this thing. It's mine. It's awesome. Get some Totina's pizza rolls next to me. Life is so good. Then, in the late 80s, this thing came along called the Nintendo Entertainment System. Do you guys remember that one? Game changer, pun intended. It was incredible. Graphics, 8 bits. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds impressive. 8 bits. Uh, we had Mario, Super Mario Brothers. We had Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! People. I'm preaching this morning. Um, once you had the NES, you had no interest in the Atari 2600. Now, these are completely different companies, completely different operating systems. You could not take your Space Invaders cartridge and pop it into the Nintendo Entertainment System and expect to play it. You could not take Contra, a Nintendo game, (laughs) blow into the top, that's what you did, and put it into the Atari and expect to be playing Contra. It would not work. Completely incompatible. Unrelated, two different universes. This is life by flesh, life by faith. Incompatible. You can't, the Bible says clearly, you cannot set your mind to the things of the flesh and walk by faith. You cannot set your heart to walking by faith and then uh, be controlled by the flesh. These two things, completely incompatible. We choose. There are two operating systems that we have to choose. And the Bible says clearly that the world, the people around us, the, the, everyone that surrounds us will know which operating system that we abide by by the fruit that shows up on our lives. It's interesting. They'll know us by our fruit. They'll know which tree we are rooted in or grafted to by the fruit that shows up in our lives. And so uh, that's what it's talking about. It's saying the fruit of which operating system you live by. The Apostle Paul speaks to, and we mentioned this last week briefly, the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. It's beautiful. These are qualities that we all want. 
These are qualities that we're all drawn to. They all gravitate to, but they're not, they're not fruits of our labor. They're fruits of the Spirit. They're something that God does within us. Love being foremost. Love is not something we love because we're first love. We can't give what we, what we haven't received. God gives us love to give. Agape is from, it shows up as we abide in Him. Uh, in the same chapter, the Apostle Paul contrasts, and he, he calls it the fruits of the Spirit, and he also calls it the works of the flesh. And he, he contrasts the fruit of the two different operating systems that we have set before us and we get a very stark contrast. Uh, I was reading in, the, in the, uh, the message translation of these verses this week, and it's so vivid, uh, it's so, uh, I, I don't know, it's so, it's, it's so specific, and it, it almost makes you blush. And uh, I'm going to read it, and uh, I'm going to give a little warning here. These are certainly PG-13. This is the message translation of Galatians 5 describing the fruit of both operating systems. I'm going to start around verse uh, 16 and uh, we'll go to verse 26. So I'll just read this to you. Live freely, animated, and motivated by God's Spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. For there's a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with a free spirit, just as the the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. These two ways of life are antithetical, so that you cannot live at times one way and at other times another way, according to how you feel on any given day. Why don't you choose to be led by the spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of the law, uh, of a law-dominated existence? It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time? This is life by the flesh. Here we go. Repe- repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid, paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisf- satisfied wants. A brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes, divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This is not an exhausted list. He wants us to know that there's, there's plenty more. That's life by the flesh. It doesn't sound great. This is life by the Spirit. This isn't the first time I've warned you. Uh, you know. That was a weird way to say that. I sound like Christopher Walken. You know. Hi. You know. Um, if you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives This is him doing something, not us doing something. Much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity now. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction uh, that a, a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments 
not needing to force our way in, in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely, legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good, crucified. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not hold on to to it as an idea in our heads or sentiment in our heart, but work out its implications in every every detail of our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us is more, is, we're better than uh, and another one worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. Uh, pretty, pretty good stuff. And uh, it's potent, powerful. And when the Bible says in Romans, you're going to be known for your fruit, this is what it's talking about. We, it's, not, it's obvious. It's not hard to understand or guess which operating system we are subscribing to because it determines who we are through good times and bad, uh, through ups and through downs. Um, Everyone can sort of put a smile on when things are going well, but when things are going off the rails, you find out what people are really like. You, You weather a few storms with people and you find out which tree they're eating from. The fruits of the Spirit are focused, if you notice, all of them outwardly. They're considerate. They're, they're considering others. They're, they're championing other people. And the fruits of the flesh or, or, or the works of the flesh, it can be described this way. It is selfishness turned inward. It is uh, a life consumed by self. Now, without me adding a bunch of commentary, which I don't need to, it is pretty obvious which operating system rules the world? Which of these lists best describes what we see in our everyday culture? Uh, in, in, if the question ever comes up, what's wrong with the world today? What is going on? What is happening? It's clear. It's life consumed by the flesh. And this is what happens. And we, we are surprised when dogs bark, <laughs> we're, descri- we're, dis- we're surprised when bees sting. It's in- and so we're shocked and gobsmacked. Like, can you believe the immorality and the, uh, the insensitivity and the selfishness of these people? Can you believe these people? We need to straighten out these people. It's, it's people being people, man. Birds bird, bees bee. That's what they do. It's also not difficult to see the powerful, refreshing impact that these rare fruits of the Spirit can and do have on a tired, weary world. How many of you guys have ever seen the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory with Gene Wilder? So good. Uh, my favorite scene... Uh, all the kids, you know, Augustus Gloop and Violet, you're turning Violet, Violet, and all the, the, the squirrels attack. All the things happen. And you get the last man standing, Charlie and his granddad who's been faking, uh, being bedridden until all of a sudden he gets a trip to a, a chocolate factory and he leaps out of bed and you're like, oh, something is off here, buddy. 
but they go to the chocolate factory. Charlie's a good kid. He's a nice guy, big heart. And he, he takes the gift that was given to him, the everlasting gobstopper, puts it on the desk of Willy Wonka and walks away. And my favorite line in the whole movie, Willy Wonka grabs the everlasting gobstopper and says, so shines a good deed in a weary world. That's what the visceral response to genuine fruits of the Spirit in this tired and weary world feels like. It, it stands out. It shines, uh, light shines brighter in the darkness. And it shines bright. And it's not hard to imagine how impactful and necessary a life lived by the Spirit, lived by faith, demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit, how important that is to allow people to experience hope. You hear that phrase, that person restored my hope in humanity. Well, it's meant to show you where hope belongs. It's meant to restore in us hope in Christ. Because that's exactly where these are from. The gospel is, in fact, a my life for you message to a my life for me world. Uh, A life, a world that is consumed by self, that elevates self above all else. The feelings that I feel as an individual are more important than everybody else all reality, all truth, everything else. I am God. That's what the fall in the garden was. Man's attempt to be his own God. And that's what sin continues to be. A life consumed by flesh is a life that's saying, I am the center of the universe. Did your parents ever tell you, you're not the center of the universe? Somehow that didn't get through our thick heads. We honestly believe that we are. And when anyone inconveniences us, offends us, that person is the devil. That person is the worst of the worst because how dare you offend or insult or disrespect the most important human walking, gracing God's green earth, my daughter was going through old yearbooks and uh, I have documented proof a story I've told many many times that I, I signed my own yearbook I signed my own yearbook that's enough with my nickname spelt incorrectly the legend Spelt Ligand. In my yearbook, I signed my own yearbook, calling myself the legend. I'm such a legend, I can't even spell the word legend. Ligand, or Legand, je parle français. And my daughter looked at me with just such disappointment <laughs> that I didn't, I, I haven't seen until this morning when she saw what sweater I was wearing. I got the same look from her. She loves this thing. Um, <laughs> she forbid me to buy it. But I'm rebellious. It's a fruit of the it's this flesh. Um, we don't mean to 
Some of the most nice, sincere people in the world are selfish. It's just, it's the gravitational pull that is in all of us. And the only antidote, the only cure to that is a life fixated on something greater. Something that is, that extinguishes our pursuit of glory for ourselves. That's what uh, Martin Luther said. The, the, the theology of, of glory, which is a theology of our own glory, cannot be curbed. It can only be extinguished. And the gospel does that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 describes the gospel as being foolishness. It's absolute foolishness to a world that is fixated on itself. It is backwards How in the world would anyone completely shift their focus outwardly and become last on their priority list and then consider others? Why would anyone in a world that is consumed by self, a world that is all about me and in my little microcosm, me and my little nuclear family, and everybody else can take a hike. So community out the window, uh, broadening ourselves, lending ourselves, giving of our time, giving of our treasure, giving of our attention, giving of anything that's sacrificial is nonsense because it's all about, you got to take care of number one. During Jesus' final moments with his disciples, he shares the priority that he wants us Uh, to have, and he wants to be the driving force in our lives. Uh, John 13, 34, 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I love you, that you love also one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. It's an interesting statement because this kind of harkens back to uh, what I just mentioned, Romans 1, that they'll know us by our fruit Here's Jesus saying, everyone's going to know us because of our love for each other. Which one is it? It's samesies. It's the same thing. A new command is given in this moment that is supposed to be the driving force of our life, our priority. And I want to, cons- I want to end today with a consideration of what this new command looks like. And, and he says clearly, love others. And he doesn't even leave up to interpretation. He says, love others as I have loved you. The standard of love that I love you with, that's where we're meant to live. That's the, that's the focus. That's the command. Uh, I'm going to roll through just a few quick verses just to show you how Jesus loves. Back to Galatians 2.20. We read this earlier. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I, I now live in the flesh by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up. For me. John 3.16, we know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians 5, 1-2, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates His own love for us while, uh, in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His love is 100% my life for you. 
sacrificial. Agape is the, is the word used here in, all, in every one of these verses. It is a word specifically unique to God's love for us. It is how God loves us, and it is how God loves through us. It is not a love that's manufactured. It's not a love that comes by way of trying hard. It is a, it's a, it's a way, it's a, it's a method of love that comes by giving up, by abiding, by being still, by abiding in Him, and that is a fruit. It's not a fruit of our labor. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that He works in us, and it only comes by way of this, a focus on the unconditional, sacrificial love of Jesus. That is the only thing that fuels in my life for, for you kind of love. Living and walking by faith in Him. It's only this, and, and I, I pray that you hear my heart and, and intention in this. It is only when a remarkable love is, shows itself and moves through unremarkable people in everyday moments that people truly taste and see that God is good. And I know that, let me say this, by my standard, (laughs) you are remarkable. You're gifted, talented, unique. But the way I'm using that phrase, unremarkable, is this. We're not God. And we will never be God. We're common, everyday humans. Fractured, flawed, And I think sometimes we get a little fixated on our flaws and we can't imagine the God of the universe loving or doing anything with us. But I'll close with one last scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. Starts with a great statement. The Apostle Paul says this, We don't preach ourselves. We don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord. In ourselves as your bondservants, for Christ's sake. For God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure. And this treasure is in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be from God and not from ourselves. The, the distinction is important. We have this treasure, but this treasure exists in earthen vessels. Normal, everyday, unremarkable containers. That is how this works perfectly in God's plan. He chooses to do miraculous things through unmiraculous people. He chooses to do righteous things through unrighteous people. He chooses to do supernatural things through very natural humans. An unlimited God chooses to work through limited vessels. We get so, in our culture, we get so fixated on what's wrong with us, that we're missing the whole point entirely. We have this treasure. But I'm older, I'm inexperienced, I'm not married, 
I'm frustrated. I'm going through a lot right now. I don't love my job. I'm not doing good financially. I don't feel good. I've got health issues. All these circumstances are very real, and they're in our face, and we hear it, and we know it, and we see it. But it doesn't make the treasure less valuable. If anything, it makes us, it makes the willingness to be consumed by and fixated on the treasure all the more real. God gives grace to the humble. He's not working through prideful people to extend grace to others because it's a dead-end street. But when you're, you're open and honest about your shortcomings and your flaws and your, your unremarkableness, then all the glory, all the attention, all the focus goes to the treasure. Look what the Lord has done. Look at how much He loves me. Look at how much He cares. We start becoming less and less the center of our own universe. The center of the universe is the sun. S-O-N. The center of the universe is not me. It's, it's Christ. And, and part of this beautiful dance of grace in pursuit of Him is me falling more and more out of love with my own self and falling more and more in love with the one who loved me so much that he would die for me. Fixing my eyes on him, the author and the perfecter of my faith. I'm being transformed. I am beginning to bear the fruit of his spirit because my fixation is on him. I'm walking and living by faith, trust in him. And he is meeting all my needs. Seek first the kingdom, the kingdom of his righteousness. Everything else will be taken care of. He loves you. He takes care of every detail. Trust him. May we, may we drop our shovels. May we drop all our, the, the, the tools that, of, our, of the trade, trying to make ourselves more important, matter more, more significant in this world. And may, be, may we be free just to rest and reside and abide in the everlasting God who freely gives us all things.